right, I'm going to pray this morning, and I want you to agree with me in prayer, and, uh, and then we're going to get into the Word. Father God, I want to thank you for West Texas. Father, I want to thank you for Briscoe, Swisher, Castro, and Hell County, for this surrounding area and the communities that we're from. And Father, I pray you pour out your Spirit on West Texas. Pour out your Spirit on our cities, our communities, our rural community. Father God, we want the lost. Show us how to win the law. Show us how to help people find Jesus Christ. Show us how to help people escape hell for all of eternity. And that your grace is on our ministry and our church and our people. Father, we want these communities. We want this city. We want the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. And we want to see their lives change. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We're so grateful that we found you. We're so grateful we're in church. We know it's not an accident, but it's by your love and grace. Father, touch us. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to continue this morning on part three of Gideon. I love this story and I'm super excited. So if I get to yelling, uh, I'm not mad, okay? I'm just excited, all right? So, so if I'm yelling through this message, you think, man, what's wrong with Pastor? There's nothing wrong with Pastor. I'm just excited, okay? Israel has gotten themselves in trouble. 200 years before God has delivered them from slavery. It's the single greatest event in the Old Testament. It's the Exodus. It's when God delivered Israel from slavery. And they've been out of slavery and they've crossed the Jordan River. They've defeated their enemies. They are in the promised land and God's grace has been on them. God told them one thing. Make sure you don't follow false gods. Make sure you don't worship any idols. Make sure you don't hook up with the false gods of your neighbor. And that's exactly what they did. And one of the prominent gods then was Baal. And they began to worship Baal. And because of it, they were under the judgment of God for seven years. And they were under the control of the Midianites. The Bible says that there were so many Midianites, they were like locusts. Okay, it says they're camels were without number. You couldn't count them. And basically, Israel's been run out of their houses. They've been run out of town. They've lost their jobs. Their businesses have gone bankrupt. They've closed their farms. All their grain has been stolen. All their livestock's been stolen. They've literally been run out of town, out into the desert, and they're hiding in caves and hiding in holes. And they cried out to God. And listen, That's all God ever wanted in the first place. You see, all that was about one thing. Will you cry out to me? Listen, the humble get the help. See, as long as you think you can handle it, as long as you're going to toughen up, as long as you're going to use the strength of your own arm, you know what God says? Now, he doesn't say it in judgment or in anger, but you see, God's a gentleman. He wants to be invited into your life. And if you won't invite him in, then he's like, it's okay, you do it yourself. So they cry out to God. He sends a prophet, and the prophet tells them three things. He says, first, you haven't listened to God. You've done what you weren't supposed to do, and because of it, you're under judgment. So the first thing they did was cry out to God. Now listen, they're in a hole. He's in a hole. Gideon's in a hole. And the first thing you got to do when you get in a hole is you got to stop digging. I had somebody come up to me after the first service, and they said, Pastor, our hole's deeper than it was last week. I said, you got to stop digging. The second thing you got to do is cry out to God. God, I need your help. The third thing you got to do is you got to listen. You got to listen to God. And here's what I want you to understand. They cried out to God. 
All this story is about is redemption. God wants to deliver them. God wants to deliver you. Here's something else I want you to understand. Their situation was impossible. Impossible. They had a 30,000-man army, and they're facing a million-man army. Their situation's impossible. I can't emphasize it to you enough. Their circumstances were impossible. Maybe you're facing a situation that's impossible. Listen, God loves impossible. God loves impossible because that's when he moves. So they cry out to God. Gideon's out in the country, and he's threshing in the wine press. And when they would thresh wheat, they would put it in a pile, and they would take a winnowing fork, and they would throw it in the air. This is before equipment. The wind would blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall back down, and they would use it to make bread and to eat. But he couldn't do that because the dust of the chaff would be seen by the Midianites, and they would come, and they would attack him, and they would steal what little they had. So he's in the wine press. A wine press is a pit with rock around it, and he's down in there trying to winnow this sweet and there's no wind in a hole so you can imagine how rough it was out of nowhere jesus appears and he sits on the edge of the wine press now how do you know it's jesus pastor the bible says that it was the angel of the lord well i'm not trying to split hairs but two things happened in this story one is gideon worships this angel and nowhere else in the bible is anyone ever allowed to worship an angel so it's not just an angel it's the angel of the lord i believe it's the pre-incarnate jesus and then you remember he makes the sacrifice he goes and gets a goat and kills it and he bakes bread, and then he takes the porridge or the broth, and he pours it on this rock, and then the angel of the Lord Jesus touches that rock with a staff, and the rock catches on fire, and it's an offering, and it's a burnt offering for Gideon's righteousness or for him to be in right standing with God. That's why I believe it's Jesus. So he's, he's, he's you know, can you just see him? He's throwing this grain in the air. Have you ever been working so hard you don't pay attention? Right? That's what he's doing. He's not looking up. He's working. And then all of a sudden, there's Jesus sitting on the edge of the wine press. Hey, mighty man of valor. Don't you know he was like, right? Don't you know he jumped? He looked up. What? Hey, mighty man of valor. Now, valor means what? Wealth and power. Now, he's talking to a guy who's lost his mortgage, been evicted from his house, lost his business. The farm's gone bankrupt. His dad's depressed. His mom's thinking about suicide. He's been run out of town, and he's hiding. And God calls him a mighty man of valor. The next thing he says is, go in this might of yours. Listen to me. God sees you differently than you see yourself. See, lots of you in this room see yourself as orphans. But God knows that you have the resources of heaven available to you but you don't know it. The Bible says that we perish for a lack of knowledge. We perish. If you have a million dollars in the bank, but you don't know it and don't use it, you might as well be broke, amen? Then he says, go in this might of yours. Now, what did we find out? Well, we found out in Ephesians, it says that you and I have been given the unlimited, surpassing greatness of the power of God that's in you. If you know Jesus is your Savior, you have the unlimited Don't you love that word? If the bank called in the morning and said, we were looking over your account, and we've decided that from here on, Jesse, it's unlimited. Yeah, would you probably not go to work on Monday, right? Yeah, yeah. There'd be somebody else getting your job, wouldn't there, right? Yeah. You have the unlimited, surpassing greatness of the power of God on the inside of you, and the key to using it is to those who 
believe. Listen to me. You have the resources of heaven available to you. That's why God told Gideon he was a mighty man of valor, even though he didn't look like it. That's why he told him he had might and strength. What does might mean? It means wealth and power and strength. And he says, go in this might of yours. Have I not sent you? You know what you need to do? You need to stop listening to what everybody else is saying about you. You need to stop listening to the devil. You need to stop listening to the radio. And you need to start listening to God. The next thing you need to recognize is your life is not up to you as much as it is to God. Now, can I say something without offending you? You're not smart enough to figure out your own life. Let me say it again. You're not smart enough to figure out your own life. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, the Bible says in Psalms that the way of a man seems right in his own eyes, but the end is death. What does that mean? That means if you'll ask God to help you figure it out, he will help you figure it out. You stop listening to everybody else. You start listening to God, and then you trust him and depend on him. And he tells him he's a mighty man of valor. He tells him he's filled with might. And the third thing he says is, have I not sent you? Listen, I am a man sent from God for you. You've been sent by God for someone else. Listen, you're not in the job you are by accident. You're there because God sent you there. And if you'd get your eyes off your paycheck, get, you, get your eyes off of the trouble, get your eyes over the drama, and start looking up and reaching out, God will use you to change people's lives. It's not an accident that you're where you are. You've been sent by God. Listen, I've been sent by God. But you've been sent by God. Are you with me? Listen, I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. But I'm a God-called pastor, and God has sent me here to help you, and then he wants to send you to help somebody else. Listen, if you let that settle down in your heart, it'd change your life. Instead of struggling with, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? How about you just get up in the morning, and when you look in the mirror, you say, I'm a man or a woman sent from God. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? So then Gideon has this conversation with Jesus, and I want to pick it up right there, and I want to read it to you, starting in Judges 6, 25 through 32. Now, before I read it, I want you to see one more thing, and then we're going to move into this story. God shows up and says, I'm going to help you. And he gives Gideon all the reasons why he's going to help him, and Gideon gives all the reasons why it's not going to work. You ever been there? God says, I'm going to help you. Yeah, but you don't understand, God. Hey, I'm going to help you at your job. Yeah, but you don't understand my boss. I'm going to help you with your family. Yeah, but you don't understand my mother-in-law. I'm going to help you with your family. Yeah, but you don't understand my husband. Right? right? Been there? You've got all the reasons why it won't work. So God does something to Gideon. He says, Gideon, I want you to make a choice. And this is where the story picks up right here. I'm going to start with Judges 6, and I'm going to start reading with verse 25. It says, that night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Now, this in another translation says that it was his father's best bull. Take your father's best bull. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. That was the false god. Cut down the Asherah pole, which was an idol. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a minute. Standing beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary and lay the stones carefully. Now listen to me. 
In the old covenant, they had certain things they had to do when they worshiped God. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. That's where God was, and he had to do certain things, and he would go in and put the blood on the altar. If you've ever seen the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you've seen the Ark of the Covenant, that's a good rendition of it. He went in and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, which was the two angels across the top. If he didn't do it right, he died. They tied a rope around his leg before he went in, and if he fell over, they'd pull him out from underneath the curtain, and he was dead. You didn't go in and get him because you'd die. Then the guy that went in after you would die. Then the guy that went in after you would die. Then the guy that went in after you would die, and there would be a pile of dead people. Now, here's the great news. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. God receives three things from you in heaven. Three things. When you worshiped this morning, when you sang the song this morning, the Bible says he receives your praise. My mother and daddy are in heaven right now this morning, and my grandparents are in heaven. All right? And when you worship God, it's as if you're standing right with your loved ones. As I'm worshiping God this morning, they're worshiping God. Now, let me tell you something about heaven. This so stirs my heart and encourages me. Uh, Heaven's not an eternal church service. And we're going to have church. We are going to have church now, okay? And you, some of you are finally going to get loose and get free. I mean, really, I'm not picking on you, but it's just the truth. Some of you Caucasians out there, <laughs> you know who I'm talking to, right? Some of you Caucasian folks who've been taught your whole life to do this, right? Don't you move a muscle, right? All right? You know, one time Vicky and I went to a Garth Brooks concert that long time ago. We were young young and went to civic center and he came up out of the floor i don't know how they did it but when he came up out of the floor that place went nuts that place went insane i can't wait to be in heaven and i don't know if jesus is going to come out of the floor i don't know what's going to happen but he's going to be there and we're going to worship god and the best bands that have ever played worship music are going to play and we're going to sing and we're going to worship god when you worship god receives your praise in heaven now there's a lot more to heaven than that There are beings there that you've never seen before, and you won't even be able to explain what they look like. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm going to swim, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to cry, I'm going to ride horses, uh, I'm going to have a razor, I'm going to have a dirt bike, I'm going to have an airplane. I'm going to have everybody, I don't know if that's not, maybe that's not going to be in your heaven, right? Your heaven's going to be some boring dead place, right? That's not what heaven's going to be like, right? My dad and Don and his dad and my, my two sons, we're going to ride horses together in heaven. We're going to ride together in heaven. It's going to be amazing. There's more going on than just church. But when you worship God, he receives your praise in heaven. The second thing he receives, the Bible says, is when you give in the offering, your money's received in heaven. Listen, if you can't let go of your offering in church, I know who your God is. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just the facts of life. I can't let go of my dollar. I can't put anything in the offering. I know who you're serving. Because you see, when I give in the offering, God receives it in heaven. The third thing he receives is your prayers. Listen, you ought to be able to worship. You ought to be able to give. And you ought to be able to pray. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, the throne is in the throne room. Listen, I'm a regular in the throne room. I'm a regular. Hey, when I get to heaven and I stroll into the throne room, everybody in there, you know what they're going to say? Oh, Rusty's here. Rusty was here all the time. Now, I'm not there physically. I'm there spiritually. When I pray, I come boldly to the throne of my father. See why? Because I'm a son. I'm not a slave or an orphan. 
And the people that are in the throne room know I'm there. I don't know who they are because I can't see them because God doesn't choose to let me see it. But when I pray, I'm instantly in the throne room of God. I'm a regular there. So he receives your giving, he receives your praise, and he receives your prayers in heaven. Now listen to it. Let me read it to you again. He said, lay the stones carefully. Tear down the altar of your father. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering uh, on the altar. Use this fuel, the wood of the Asherah pole, you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants. This is a big job. I mean, this is a big breeding bull, and they're going to butcher it. Take 10 of your servants and do as the Lord commanded. He did it at night because he was afraid. The other members of his father's house and the people of the town. Early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir. Someone discovered this altar of Baal had been broken down. And the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place a new altar had been built. An altar to the Lord. And on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other who did this. And after asking around and making a search. They learned it was Gideon the son of Joaz. Bring out your Son, the men of town demanded of Joaz, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joaz shouted to the mob. Don't you love that? He shouted. Now, here I go. He shouted. He says, why are you defending Baal? He knew Baal wasn't God. I'm going to tell you some more about that in a minute. Will you argue his case? Whoever pleaded his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is God and he knew he was not God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down the altar. Then Gideon's name was changed to Jerubbabel. Man, that's a baby's name, isn't it? Jerubbabel. Amen. No different than Jadiel. Amen. I saw him earlier. Amen. Called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself. Because he broke down Baal's altar. Here's what happens. God tells Gideon, I'm going to help you, but you're going to have to make a choice. I want you to go get your daddy's best bull. Now, let me talk to you for a minute about a bull. I visited with Don about it. A good breeding bull costs ten dollars to $15,000. Now, that's on the low end. Okay, you can get online and you can buy a prize bull. Don said there can be prize bulls up to $100,000. Or you can even buy a partnership in a bull. Uh, he said that he knew a man that bought a third in a bull, and it was $80,000. So that bull was worth $240,000. Now, it's not just the physical price of the bull. Let's just bring it back down to ten dollars or $15,000. The bull is the future of your herd. See, your bull is your future. So here's what God tells Gideon. I want you to go get your daddy's best bull. I want you to give me your future. I want you to trust me for tomorrow. Now, why the best bull? Because Jesus was the best God have, and he gave the best. Do you remember when Jesus came down to the Jordan River, and John is down there baptizing, and when John looked up and saw his cousin Jesus, he said this, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Then in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator had a vision of heaven, and when he saw heaven, he said, I saw Jesus as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now, 
Now, that's a metaphor. Jesus is not a lamb, but it represents his innocence and his purity. In the Old Testament, when I would sin, I'd bring a lamb to the priest, and the priest would examine it and make sure it was perfect because, you see, God only wants your best. See, I can't have a lamb that has a broken leg. Well, I'm going to take that to the priest, or I have an old 10-year-old cancer-eyed milk cow, and I don't want her anymore anyway, and she wouldn't even make good hamburger, so I'm going to give her to God. You know, people will bring their old broken-down couches to church, their old flat basketballs. I'm not, I, I better be careful here. Okay, God doesn't want your junk. He doesn't want your junk. He wants the best that you have. I know a lady that came to my house one day, and she said, Pastor, I need some advice. I said, what do you need? She said, I have a business that I'm running seven days a week, and I'd like to close and give one day a week to God on Sunday and come to church, but I can't because Sunday financially is my best day. And I kind of laughed inside myself, not hatefully or arrogantly, and I told her this. I said, of course Sunday's your best day because that's the only day God wants the best. And she hung her head like the rich young ruler, and she said, well, I can't do that. Well, that business is closed now. And I'm not saying it's closed because God did it or because of judgment. Uh, She just didn't make the right choice. Go get your daddy's best bull, the bull of the future, because I only want the best that you have. Then an Ashrash pole is a totem pole. You all know what a totem pole is, right? The Indians in the Pacific Northwest have them, and they have little wings and hawks like bird noses, you know. And You've seen a totem pole, right? Okay, well, it was big. It was big like a telephone pole. And he said, I want you to cut down that totem pole to their false god, and I want you to cut it up into lumber, and I want you to pile it up for a fire, then take the rocks off the bell of altar, pull down that altar to that false god, and I want you to take those stones, and I want you to put them around that wood, and I want you to build an altar to me, build an altar to me carefully. Then I want you to go into the pen and get your daddy's best prize bull. Now, remember, this is at night. They're asleep. Listen to me. He did it at night because he was afraid. Listen, if you got to do it afraid, just do it. If you're afraid to follow God, just do it anyway. It's okay. The fear will leave. He goes over and opens the gate, and that big old prize bull, I can just see him black, and he has that big old hump on his back. He weighs thousands of pounds, and he leads that best bull out, and he has 10 men with him. They got to kill a bull. And one of them's over there with the whetstone, and he's sharpening that blade. And he reaches up under and cuts that bull's neck and the blood gushes out. Now we're going to move into Rusty's version. I believe Gideon reached his hands underneath that blood and he put two stripes on his face, ripped his shirt off, and put two handprints right on his chest. You see, he wasn't a pansy. Amen? They bleed out that bull, then they butcher it into pieces. They go over there and they light that fire and it's a big fire. Dad's asleep in the house. And they cut that bull up and they put that bull on there. And I believe Gideon reared back and let a war hoop out. And he held up that bloody knife. And he began to cry praises to God. Now listen, when Joshua went into the promised land before they went to to destroy the first city... Uh, Jesus was there again, pre-incarnate Jesus, and he was a warrior with a sword. And Joshua went up to him, and he said, Are you for us, or are you against us? Listen to me. God is a warrior, and he's for you. He's for you. 
So they build that fire. They pull down that false altar. They cut down the totem pole. They build a fire. They worship all night long. The sun begins to peak. Did y'all see the sunrise this morning? In the east, it's pink and red. And in the west, is that big, huge full moon. That's what it looked like. And the smoke is drifting. You know, the fire's out, but there's still smoke. It's a big fire. And they start getting up and coming outside. And the first thing they notice is this smoke. And then I'm sure one of them said, hey, hey, where's that bull? That bull we bought at market last month, that prize bull that we paid $15,000 for. Where's the bull? Hey, what's that fire? What's Gideon covered in? (laughs) And they put two and two together. And they come out and they say, we're going to kill you. Now listen to me very carefully. God asked Gideon to give up his father's gods. Listen to me very carefully. You say, Pastor, my dad was a Christian. My dad was a Christian too. But a lot of times we still have false gods in our life. You know, in India, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, Hindus particularly, when they receive Jesus as their Savior, they, most of them will not get baptized. You see, they're not afraid to pray the sinner's prayer. They're not afraid to ask Jesus into their life. They're not afraid to add him to their other gods. But when you get water baptized, their families have nothing to do with them. Their families renounce them and and push them out of their lives. So most of them will not be water baptized unless they've had a real, genuine conversion. Here's what we do. Oh, pastor, I want Jesus. I want to pray the sinner's prayer, but I'm going to add Jesus to my life. I'm not going to get rid of anything else. I'm not going to get rid of my false god of money. I'm not going to get rid of my false god of pleasure. I'm not going to get rid of my false god of workaholism or alcoholism or drug addiction or pornography. I'm not going to get rid of any of that stuff, pastor. I'm just going to take Jesus and put him on my mantle and I'm going to add him to my other gods and I'm going to make him a house god. And when I need him, I'm going to cry out to him, but I'm not going to give up anything. And God told Gideon, I want you to pull down your father's altar, cut down the totem pole, butcher his best bull, and give up the false gods of your family. Now listen, I was taught my whole life. I was taught my whole life, blood's thicker than water. Listen, in the gray family, if you fight one of us, you fight all of us. Nothing makes me matter than when I see people let their children fight among themselves and they pit their children against each other. Nothing makes me matter because in my family, it's all for one and one for all. And if you fight my daughter, you get me in the battle because we, that's just who we are. That's how I was raised. But I know you got to be careful you can carry that too far. And I know that. I'm not talking about pride. God's saying, give up the gods of your fathers. Whatever that is, you give it up. You give me your future. God only wants the best you have because Jesus was the best. Now, I want to read you a verse. I'm going to jump down to the end of the story. I'm going to jump ahead to one verse. Judges 8, 27. Judges 8, 27. Let me just read this to you. Then Gideon made it into an ephod. He made gold into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all of Israel played the harlot with it there. And it became a snare to Gideon into his house. What does that mean, Pastor? 
After the battle's over, they gather the gold from the enemy, and they took gold, and they made an ephod. An ephod is like a breastplate that a high priest would wear, and it had precious stones in it, and it served a holy purpose, okay? Gideon made one, and all of Israel began to worship the ephod, okay? They began to worship the ephod. Do you know that when you worship other gods, God sees it in a sexual context, did you know the word right here that he used is the word harlot? It's when you worship other gods, it's like you're sexually unfaithful. That's how God compares it. See, when you turn your heart away from God, it's as if you're unfaithful to your mate. That's how God sees it. So it says they begin to worship the ephod. Now listen to it. And it became a snare to Gideon in his house. Now here's what I want you to see, and this is so powerful. Men, let me talk to you. Your gods are a snare to your family. Your gods are a snare to your children, and they are a snare to your grandchildren. If you've not given up the gods of your grandfather and your father, or you've taken on gods of your own, whatever it is, work, pleasure, you just make the list. It doesn't matter what it is. But Jesus is not absolute Lord. He's just a part of my life. He's not Lord of my life. It becomes a snare in your children's life and a snare in your grandchildren's lives. And you pass those sins, those iniquities, you pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. And all you have to do to stop it is say, Jesus, I surrender 100% to you and you you show me how to walk this out. You show me how to do it. God only wants your best, and he wants you to give up the gods of your fathers. I want to read you another verse. I want to read John 12, 42. Listen to this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Or because of their family, they would not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. Hey, God, I'm willing to follow you, but I just don't want it to cost me anything. You know, I don't want anybody at work mad at me. I don't want my family unhappy with me. I'm willing to serve you, God, but can we just keep it on the down low? No, I need you to kill the bull, pull down the altar, tear down the totem pole. I need you to let everybody know you've made a choice. Let me read you another portion of Scripture. I want to go to Judges 6.31. Listen to what this says. But Joaz, his dad, said to all who stood against him, and they've gotten up that morning, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death in the morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself because his altar's been torn down. Then he, Basically, here's what he says. If Baal is God, let God take care of Gideon. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's so amazing right here. See, because Gideon was not afraid to take a stand, it encouraged his dad and his entire family. Can I tell you something? Your whole family's waiting for you to take a stand. Your whole family's waiting for you to get real. Your whole family's waiting for you to come all in and not be afraid to say, I'm not doing that. And if you don't like it, get out of my house. That's all they're waiting on. But up to now, see, your Christianity is just, in Rome, I'm going to do as the Romans, and I just want to get along with everybody. They're waiting for you to stand up. They're waiting for this church thing to be real and more than Sunday. They're waiting for you to give up that old bad attitude, and you're, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm yelling, right? But you won't do it because you want them to like you.
His dad's excited. He knew Baal wasn't God. He just was going along to try to, so he could keep his business, right? But his dad stood up and said, hey, I'm siding with my boy, Baal and God. In fact, we're gonna change his name to Jerubbabel, which means kick Baal in the butt. <laughs> Amen? Now listen to me. I gotta turn my page. Here's what I wanna ask you. What have you been hanging on to in your life? that you need to give up, that maybe your dad passed to you, maybe your granddad passed to you, or maybe you just picked it up on your own. What's your ace in the hole? What does that mean, Pastor? What's that thing you're hanging on to in case things don't go right, in case this Christianity thing don't work out? What's the ace in the hole? What's that thing you're pulling back? Maybe it's your savings. I don't know. Maybe whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. What are you holding on to that's your ace in the hole? God's saying, hey, I want you to give that up. I want you to put down your idols. I want you to kill your father's best bull. I want you to pull down the totem pole, tear down his altar, and do what Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve God. Now, two things are going to happen. They're going to run to you or they're going to run away from you. We see it at camp every year. We always talk about it at camp, right? That camp is huge room full of thousand teenagers. And they get up there and they hit that guitar and God's presence falls just like it did this morning. And you know what happens right here in this morning? You're either running to the bathroom, running for coffee because you can't stand to be in here. That's what the teenagers do. They either run to the back or they run to the front. It happens every Wednesday night. They clamor at the door. A couple of weeks ago, I stood at the door and I put my foot on it so nobody could get in or out. No, I'm serious. I did. And they're at that door. Let me out. Why? Because they can't stand God's presence. And they got to get away. Then you know what the rest of them are doing? They're, well, they're, they're right up here like this. <laughs> they're doing this. They could play the guitar if they just reach out and touch it. Right? Right. They're, they're doing one or two things. You know what God's asking you to do this morning? Just come on all the way in. Just come on. If, if, listen, I know it's, it's okay to be afraid. He was afraid. Do it afraid. God, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if my mother-in-law is going to like this. I don't know if my dad's going to like this. I don't know if my boss is going to like this. You know what God's saying? Do it afraid. Do it afraid. Come on all the way in. And you know what I'll do? I'll deliver you. I'll help you. That's what he told him. He said, I'll help you. He was afraid and he did it anyway. God says to Gideon, and he says to you, I'm going to deliver you. If you need help financially, if you need help in your marriage, whatever it is you need, you cry out to God. You don't have to do it in front of anybody. Do it in your bedroom. Do it when nobody's at the house. Do it in your car on the way to work. It's okay to yell. It's okay to have some emotion. Some of you need to take your pulse. I mean, you just do. Now, I know you can't be like me. I feel sorry for you. Not everybody can be like me. It's okay. But you just, it's okay. God help me. And he will. And he will. And he will. And he will. Amen?